0: You're listening to Voice Acting Mastery, episode number 19.
1: Welcome to the Voice Acting Mastery podcast with Crispin Freeman. VoiceActingMastery.com is your place to learn both the skills and the mindset you need to become a professional voice actor, even if you're just getting started. In each episode of this podcast, you'll discover valuable tips, tricks, and insider information to help you portray characters in animation, video games, and beyond. And now here's your host, Voice actor Crispin
0: Freeman. Hi there. My name is Crispin Freeman, and I'll be your guide through the world of voice acting. If you'd like to know more about me, feel free to check out my personal website at www.crispinfreeman.com. Many of you who listen to the podcast and read my blog have asked about the subject of dialects or accents. Some of you have asked how you can learn an accent. Some of you have asked how you can remove your own accent, and others are struggling with speech impediments. To address the subject of accents, I thought I would bring in one of the best accent coaches I know, my good friend and fellow actor, J.B. Blanc. J.B. and I met while voice acting in Los Angeles on an anime show called Helsing. J.B. played a creepy vampire priest in the first episode of the TV series and returned to play Enrico Maxwell in later episodes. J.B. is not only a wonderful actor but he has an amazing command of accents. I sat down with JB to talk about how he approaches accents, both as an actor and when coaching other actors. I think you'll find his insights helpful and his facility with dialects impressive. So without further ado, here's JB.
1: And now, the feature segment.
0: Hello, JB. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. It's great to have you here. Thanks. Uh, Let's just start with how you got started in voiceover. How did you break into the voice acting business?
2: Uh, I'd been uh, a theater actor in England for a long time, and I moved to Los Angeles after a movie that I did called The Count of Cristo, and basically had to start my career again in L.A. because no one knew what I'd done in England. Um, And... I actually, a friend of mine, Victoria Harwood, was doing a show called Helsing. Ah, Helsing. Ah, Helsing, which you may recognize, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I think I worked on that show. Some vague memory of that. And she said, you should come meet these guys because I think they're looking for English voices. And I'd done a bit of voiceover in England, but not really much. I'd certainly done no animation work, and I, you know, I'd done odd CD-ROMs for corporate stuff, basically, back when CD-ROMs were all the rage in the corporate world. Back when they were CD-ROMs. When right? they were CD-ROMs. Um, <laughs> uh, and so I went and met uh, uh, this dubious chap called Jonathan Klein and Tannis and Jeff, and, uh, and we, we started. And so Helsing was my, actually my first gig, and it's ironic now that we're speaking just as we f- finally finished the, last, <laughs> the, <laughs> the
0: last, last bit of the OVA. iteration of, of Ten Helsing. Ten
2: years later.
0: Ten years of Helsing. I know. It's crazy. So yeah, that's, so that, actually, Helsing was uh, probably the first voice acting job that I had in Los Angeles, too. Really? I didn't know. Yeah, because I had just come from New York. Ha! Uh, no one in New York necessarily would have known what I had been working on, except that I made a videotape of the stuff that I've been working on and showed it to them. And they said, "Oh, you don't suck," and I right. said, oh, "Okay, good." Because um, so, that's what
2: it's about, really—is not sucking. Not sucking. Yeah,
0: pretty much. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. So we both—that was both sort of our a uh, little introduction, our, our introduction to voice acting in LA, right. working on the anime Helsing.
2: And then, I, you know, I embarked on a, on a series of little of anime jobs, and uh, that's really what got me started. I then directed. Uh, the bizarre and wonderful series licensed by uh, li, li, what was it called? LR. LR licensed by by licensed by royalty. That's what it was called. Very strange Bond Bondesque piece. As opposed to being licensed by the proletariat. It's exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. If one is going to be licensed, it should be by a monarchy of some sort. I think. <laughs> uh and then you know i was just it was a fairly slow start uh and and uh and then you know now uh, it's grown to being with we are in fact with the same agents and we both do very well out of them um and it's it's embarked on you know some original anima- animation work some commercial work and a lot of video game workers yeah, yeah. you know most of our. so
0: your uh, original background was in the theater
2: absolutely you? yeah i trained you- at, at rada in london and uh I ran my own theatre company for a period in, in, in London and we did some world tours and national tours and then I started working in regional theatre. But the, the foundation was my training at RADA because the technical aspects of training in England is very, very, very strong. And often people say that, you know, we lack emotionally where Americans succeed emotionally and they lack technically where we succeed technically. And so for me, whatever type of acting, and I've pretty work, much worked, you know, I've done a lot of film, television, theatre and voiceover. The te- having a strong technical foundation always gives you something to fall back on when you're in trouble, and we all have those moments as actors when we get into trouble, when we're, we've we've lost our way, we're not we don't feel in the moment. To use a a slight um, common phrase, and, and uh, you, if you have that strong technical background to fall back on, you can get yourself out of trouble and rely on that. You know, it just it helps with your confidence, it helps with nerves, it helps with all kinds of stuff. So, a basic. Technical training has always been a, a sort of rock solid foundation for me Sure, an And for
0: those in the audience who don't know, RADA is the
2: Royal Academy of Dramatic Art.
0: Yes, uh, I, those uh, those people who are listening in the UK will know exactly.
2: They will probably about know what, what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm, you uh, know, and you know, it's 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 a very fancy name for just another drama school, really. Because it's you know there are about five that are really really good, strong courses and.
0: Well, let's let's talk about that uh, technical aspect of acting, because that was one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on the podcast, is because I know that you tend to be an expert on accents. And one of the questions that a lot of uh, my listeners have uh, asked me is, how do I deal with my accent? I have an accent, or I want to work on accents. How do I approach accents changing my accent so that I can be more flexible uh, and more castable as a voice actor? So what would you say to them if, if one of them came up to you and said, let's start with, how do I get rid or how do I change or neutralize my current regional accent?
2: Well, I, I, I'm, I'm of the belief that who you are is fundamentally who you are, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't try and change that on a permanent basis. I regard, you know, I have a lot of clients who uh, are from different regions of America. Or from different regions of the world, who want to be able to do an American accent because that's what they're going to need for most of their casting, working in a town like LA or you know Chicago or New York. Um, so I'm 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 sort of a fundamental believer that that a dialect is something you should be able to step into, and not that that one shouldn't talk in terms of changing one's accent. I think, you know, the way we speak is, is, has so much to do with who we are and where we come from and what, what is the fabric of our being, and I, I, I value that. Um, and accents are wonderful, wonderful things. You know, they add a lot of color and character to things, um, to the way people speak. So it's very difficult to standardize accent training because each individual is made in a different way. You have different facial structure, different bone structure... Um, you have different ways of thinking ways of listening, um, and to standardize that is rather difficult it 's quite why it 's always hard People ask me to do group dialect workshops they 're very difficult to do because every individual is 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 different um, A lot of it has to do with placement um, so for instance if i 'm from England, there are a number of things that I can basically do for, if i 'm coming from England, we speak uh, as though we have a, a, an egg on its end at the back of our mouths with words like walk and talk. We use the soft palate, which is the bit behind your hard palate, where your epiglottis hang, hangs uvula. down. The uvula hangs down. Sounds always sounds rude to me, that one, but yeah, the, your uvula hangs down. Um, and that, that's very flexible in a British accent. For an American accent, you take that egg and turn it on its side. And what happens is that the whole mouth becomes wider and flatter. And so, if I start talking in an American accent, you can hear that I'm putting less effort into the way that I speak. And it's becoming more laterally based. And so, this is something very clear and physical that initially you can go for to actually change the sound. But that's about where the accent is placed in the mouth, what mouth shapes. Uh, you you produce when you say certain sounds, so it's a question of like all acting is, you know, a a lot of the root of acting is is clear observation of different characters. You can watch someone speak and you can see where they're placing that. You just have to learn to pay attention to the right things, where Mm -hmm. they're placing that dialect. Now there are some people, you have a very proper American accent, you're very clear and it's very well pronounced and it's East Coast and it's very it's very particular and nicely formed and shaped. It tends to be the further west you get, people get lazier and lazier until eventually they're just like, it's too hot, man, I'm going to the beach. You know, nothing happens in the mouth. Right. I would say if, if it was a wave diagram, you'd have lots of huge ups and downs if it was a British accent. The American accent, standard American accent, generally takes the shortest route possible. Mm-hmm. However, if you're from Japan, you might, you're going to have a whole different set of problems in terms of achieving it a standard American accent than if you're from you know, South Dakota or you're from Alabama and you're trying to you're trying to ease that down. It's difficult. You you have to learn to listen in a whole new way. It's like once you become an actor you never really see a movie the same way again. You're thinking in terms of camera angles and lights and sound and colour mix and all that kind of stuff. You'll never see a play the same way again. You should never really sit in a cafe the same way again because you're always observing people. You're always taking in information and going, oh, isn't that interesting how he did that? Oh, isn't it ent- interesting how those two are clearly in a fight? And it's the same thing with listening. I mean, my, my kind of um, uh, predilection for dialect work came out of necessity. I was born in France. I lived in England. I look Latino or French or Italian and I've been here 10 years, and on screen, on camera, I must have done maybe 12 television shows now since I've been here. I've never played a Brit once. So out of necessity, I had to be very good at different dialects because I was going to get the call for the Israeli or the Arab or the Frenchman or the Italian or the, and lots of Latinos. Uh-huh. And that's happened in voice work too, although I get more Brits now <laughs> because I, they don't have to show my French mug on screen. <laughs> um, I immediately had to become more flexible in my listening as much as in my, you know, acting and approach to speaking. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had a knack for it. So that was, you know, part of it was having the knack for it. But also, it's just, I I changed the way that I observed and listened to other people. And then I really watch people's mouths and see where the placement is. So, for instance, uh, if you have a French accent, if you push your lips forward and everything comes a little more forward in the, in, the, in the mouth, then you start talking like a Frenchman, you know, because everything is it's a very forward accent. It comes right on the front. If you're doing Italian, it, the, the, there's a lot of action at the front of the mouth, but at the back of the throat, it's very open and very... You can hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, Spanish, uh, like Latin Spanish, is much more... Uh, it's darker it's in, in kind of the nose and in and, and in the, under the tongue of the mouth. And so you say, Senor Drake, we must stop meeting like this. You know, you have this, and, and it, you, the placements start becoming a natural place to go to. Often I would use like a standard sentence, you know, something that will get me into Russian. I like to eat potatoes and drink vodka. That's, that then gets me into the zone, and I can then <laughs> pursue it from there on Yeah,
0: in. I, I think I've heard someone call it a pitch pipeline.
2: It's exactly like that. Yeah, Exactly yeah. a pitch pipeline. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, coming back we 've gone a long way around, but coming back to your question i don 't think you should try and change your own accent. You should try and take on the dialect as a, as a as a sort of different way of speaking and I would always recommend going to an individual coach, um, Some are cheaper than others, but there you 're going to have someone that can relate where you 're coming from and where you need to get to now i 've often I get a lot of clients who complain and i 'm not blowing my own trumpet. But they complain that they've been to an American dialect coach, and they don't necessarily understand where the person is coming from and what you've got to understand how an other dialect works in order to understand what the journey is from that dialect to the dialect you're trying to achieve. I know that sounds complex, but I spent my entire youth travelling the world. Part of my part of the way I got off was on was on accents. You know, in India, you know, I have. You know, I have stories from India where, you know, landed in Calcutta Airport with my girlfriend, and uh, she goes up to this old man who's got his back towards us and says, excuse me, can you tell me where the toilet is, please? And he turns to her and says, madam, the whole of India is a toilet. (laughs) 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 Which is... Which is that 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 tells me a lot about the sense of humor, the 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 way that Indian and there's a kind of matter of factness, you know. There's a lot of crap in India. They deal with a very difficult lifestyle, and they have this very matter of fact way of speaking because they have to deal with all the crap in their lives. Yeah, you know. So there's a sort of practical rhythm to it as well. And then and then the rest is just different tongue shapes, different mouth shapes that a, that a dialect coach should be able to guide you through. Yeah,
0: I really like what J B has to say about handling your own regionalisms and dialect. For him, it's not about removing your accent, but rather it's about being able to put it on and take it off, like a piece of clothing. The goal is not to permanently modify your speech patterns, but rather to give you the flexibility to play a broader range of characters than your natural accent might allow. In the next episode, I ask JB about speech impediments and how they differ from regional dialects. We also talk about how your accent is actually a survival technique and how some people can feel very threatened when they are asked to change the way they speak, I think you'll really appreciate what the discussion reveals. See you
1: next time. You've been listening to the Voice Acting Mastery Podcast with Crispin Freeman. To get your free report revealing the five most common mistakes to avoid in voice acting, point your web browser to www.freevoiceactinggift.com. Thanks for listening.